Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who likes smoke and lightning and heavy metal thunder. Here is the captain. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week in the garage, we are very happy to be featuring Insidious by the good, hardworking folks over at Loose Shoe Brewing Company, located in both Appomattox and Amherst, Virginia. Insidious is an imperial IPA. You get the hop hit right from the first taste, but this is a smooth, lighter, and even thin imperial IPA, and a little lower ABV for an imperial. 8%. Garage grade, three and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's hand out some cheers and good jibs to our friends out there in listener land. First up, a big cheers all the way around the room. And beer shout outs to Randy and the Smith family tuning in from Bluffton, Indiana. And a big we like your jib and happy Halloween to Shiloh in San Antonio, Texas. Next, a West Coast cheers to Christine Cusada from Alhambra, California. And last but certainly not least, a cheers and thank you to longtime listener and friend of the show, Suzanne in Larchmont, New York. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, B-W-E-W-R-U-N, beer run. Make sure you go to truecrimegarage.com and sign up on the mailing list. And Colonel, that's enough of the biz. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Twenty-year-old Rachel Good has been missing from her hometown of Elkton, Virginia, since October 2003. Rachel was last seen with friends in the parking lot behind the Elkton Volunteer Fire Department, near the Coin Laundry, off of Spotswood Trail in the town of Elkton, at approximately 6 p.m. on the evening of October 18, 2003. Rachel Good's case is classified as an endangered missing person case. The current investigating agency is the Virginia State Police. Rachel is described at the time of her disappearance as a 20-year-old Caucasian female, 5 foot 4 inches tall, about 180 pounds, with blonde hair and brown eyes. Rachel has scars on her navel and on her back. Rachel was wearing a yellow t-shirt, blue jeans, and possibly stud earrings. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Rachel Good, please contact the Virginia State Police at 800-572-2260. This is True Crime Garage. For this week's true crime case, we head over to Elkton, Virginia. Elkton is a small town of approximately 3,000 residents nestled on the east side of Rockingham County in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley. Now, we've covered several cases over 
the garage years in this area of our great country. One that comes to mind is this is rather near the Colonial Parkway murders that is still unsolved to this day. This area of Elkton, again, small town, it's located just a few minutes from Interstate 81 between Harrisonburg and Charlottesville. Elkton is a crossroads for progress and small town living. The population back in 2010, which is closer to the date of our case. Okay, so Rachel Good goes missing in 2003. This year is unfortunately the 20th anniversary of this missing persons case. Now, the population back in 2010 was a little more than 2,700 people. And as said, Captain, at the center of this story is our missing person, 20-year-old Rachel Good. Back in 2003, she is a mother of three children, and she was known to be a free spirit who was rather outgoing. She enjoyed talking with people, meeting new people, as said, considered by many to be a free spirit, just a fun-loving individual. Rachel attended Fort Defiance High School. Her parents are Brenda Brown and Carrie Good. Now, in 2003, her parents had been separated for some time. Mother, Brenda Brown, had went on to remarry. Mike Brown was her current husband and still is her husband to this day. And Carrie Good, the father, is a long-haul trucker at this time in 2003. He's considerably older now and retired, but the two were separated before Rachel went missing. And now we say that she was 20 years old, but her birthday is October. So she's a very young 20 years old at the time of her disappearance. So let's jump in our DeLorean and go back to October 18th, 2003. And let's go through the timeline. Yes, this will be the start of our timeline. We're going to start off at 6 p.m. roughly, Captain. This is when several people are hanging out together with Rachel. She's with her friends. They're socializing. They're having a good time. And this is a small town. So in this small town, one of the hangout spots is a parking lot. And the parking lot belongs to the Elkton Volunteer Fire Department. So this parking lot is actually behind the firehouse. And she is there hanging out with friends, socializing. Nothing seems wrong with Rachel's world, as far as anybody could tell, during that time of hanging out that evening. Right. And she is seen leaving, leaving safely in her vehicle, a Dodge Neon. And that is the last time that we have confirmed sightings of Rachel Good. We're going to jump to the next day. The following day, Rachel was supposed to hang out with a friend. She had plans for that morning. She didn't show up. And when she fails to arrive and show up for these plans, her friend starts calling her. Where are you? Well, you know, I thought we were hanging out today. We had this to do. We had this scheduled. Where are you? Can't get a hold of Rachel. This is very out of character for Rachel Good. She was the type if she made plans with a friend or loved one, she followed through on them, and she was available. You know, she was someone, if you reached out to her, she would pick up the phone. She would respond. 
when her friend can't get a hold of her, this is going to raise the red flag. The warning signs are something's not right. I'll reach out to her mother just to say, hey, we were supposed to have plans. I'm a little concerned. I can't get a hold of Rachel. So the friend captain reaches out to Rachel's mother and explains that one, they were supposed to hang out and two, now she cannot get a hold of Rachel. So we know how these things go, right? This is the domino effect. We've seen it time and time again in missing persons cases or foul play cases. Somebody raises the flag, sounds the alarm bell, and now we have other people trying to get in touch with Rachel Good to no avail. Two of the people we know that were looking for Rachel that afternoon, now the mother and her brother as well. And when they fail to get in contact with their daughter and sister, they decide we should go to our police department. And, and we already discussed how small of a town Elkton, Virginia is. So that carries over to the public services as well and emergency services as well. So this is a very small police department, very few personnel working as police in this area. So they go to the police department the afternoon of October 19th. So we don't have that exact time of when they are there to report Rachel missing, but it puts us roughly in the 20 to 24 hour window of the last time that anybody has seen her or the confirmed sightings of Rachel Good. Well, when she left the fire department where she was hanging out with friends the day before, where was her destination? It's believed that she was going to return to her residence. So she's 20 years old. She's a young 20. Like she just turned 20 maybe two weeks prior to this. She is living on her own. So she's not living at mom's or dad's house at the time of her disappearance. As said, from the reports, it's believed she was to head home after leaving the fire department parking lot that evening, October 18th. So Rachel was hanging out with some friends. Then she's going to head home around 6 p.m. Again, the next day, she's going to meet a friend. She doesn't meet that friend. The friend can't get a hold of Rachel. So now the friend, Rachel, and Rachel's brother are going to go to the police department to report her missing. Yes, I know this timeline seems very short. And it's for good reason, because this is where the timeline is going to pick up a little bit of speed here, Captain. We talk so much here in the garage about every case being unique and the details of every case being unique. This next detail is one that we've not heard before. So mom and brother are at the Elkton Police Department. Again, it's small. It's a very small police department. We're talking like, I think there's four full-time officers at the time, one being the chief. And then some underlings, right? They may have some part-time officers or maybe even volunteer staff or personnel as well. But at the time, I believe it's four individuals working this police department. They're probably not even open 24 seven. We've seen this with many small towns, especially if you go back to the decades of the seventies or the eighties, when we talk about these old cases, but this one being a more recent case, we want to point out the, the, how small the police department is now. So mother and brother are there at Elkton to report daughter and sister missing. And here's mom's exact words. Okay. So we have Brenda Brown is Rachel Good's mother. 
This is what she says about placing that report, the missing persons report. Quote, I have never seen anyone shake like that. She's talking about the officer here who took the report. He could barely hold his ink pen in his hand, and he only wrote a couple of lines, end quote. So mom and brother are there to report the Rachel is missing. The officer that takes the report is shaking, like not just visibly shaking, like the dude can barely hold the pen taking the report. Now, this officer is rather young. He's 22 years old. So you can read into that what you will, but you're not going to have to read too far because as said, the timeline picks up some speed real quick here. Now, they do say that even though the officer was shaking, uh, this officer's name who took the report, his name is Adam Williams. They did say that the the man seemed to be caring um, and seemed to be concerned and was empathetic enough to tell mom to tell Brenda, hey, like I, w- we want to help you out here. We're going to do everything we can. And if you need anything, you can call me personally. I will make sure to look into anything that you need. We're going to find your daughter. Well, you can look at that in a couple of ways, though, because this individual is roughly the same age as Rachel, so they could have known each other in school. Um, especially, like you said, it's a it's a very small town. But you could look at it as, well, this guy seems a little off-put. He seems a little nervous. Is it? Is he saying, hey, you can reach out to me with any information and I'll make sure I do it? I mean, I almost view his actions almost a little suspicious. Well, and the thing here, Captain, is I don't know how they catch cases in Elkton back in 2003, but we talked about the small staff there at the police department. Right. Adam Williams, the 22-year-old who takes the report, will become the department's, the Elkton police department's lead investigator on this missing persons case. So he is in charge of looking for Rachel, putting out the uh, feelers to, to figure out if anybody's seen her right to take in information, collect evidence, go to her home and all the stuff that you would do in your typical investigation. And here we have something that we don't have in, in some cases we have a, a quick, a quick call to action, right? Mom and brother are reporting her missing less than 24 hours after she's last seen. And now we have an investigator who is actively working the case very quickly into this disappearance case. And I don't believe we have any eyewitnesses that saw Rachel get back to her home. Correct. We don't have any indication if she returned. And we also don't have any indicators from police after the fact saying, look, When we went to investigate, when we went to her residence, we saw this, that, and the other thing. So we believe she made it back. Now, one thing that may, may suggest that she positively returned to her residence that evening is her vehicle is accounted for that Dodge neon. Not only do they know where it is, but it's found outside of her residence. So it would appear that she returned home that evening it sounds like she didn't have her kids that night and that she was going to hang out with a friend the following day we should note that's a saturday evening right going into sunday so the kids were probably elsewhere that night if 
if she would have had her children that night, we know this, she probably would have been reported missing much sooner. So we have this window of time between 6 p.m., her vehicle back at her residence, and the following morning. So we have about a 14-hour, 15-hour window of movements and activities and events that are really just unknown to us as we sit here and discuss this disappearance all of these years later. Well, it seems like somewhat of a win as far as the investigation goes because we found her vehicle, but to me, I almost view that as a loss because it's easier sometimes to find a vehicle than is a, a person. And so if she was still with her vehicle, easier to find her. Well, and a big loss too, because when we went through the items described that it's believed she was wearing when she disappeared, right? the concern then becomes, look, you, you, you can kind of leave the light on and still have some hope when you hear, oh, she went missing, but the other items that are missing, uh, her clothes, maybe even a change of clothes, her cell phone, her purse, her car. All of those items are missing as well. So then you hope, well, maybe this person just said, you know what? I've had enough. I'm hopping in the old Dodge Neon and I'm I'm heading west. Right. But in this case, you find her car. That's trouble. In this case, you find her purse at her residence. That's trouble. Yeah. I'm un, I'm uncertain about her cell phone. I do know that she had one. I don't know if it was found or not. I can say this on the missing persons flyers. There's no mention of a cell phone there. So that, to me, is suggestive that they did recover her cell phone. The only items listed on the missing persons flyers is the yellow T-shirt, blue jeans, and some earrings. The The other alarming thing to me here, Captain, no mention of shoes or footwear on the missing persons and, you know, yes, a lot of us have, a, a, you know, lots of shirts or lots of pairs of pants. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are some men and women who have lots of shoes as well. But you hear in a lot of these missing persons cases or foul play cases that when they take a, especially a mother or a sister to a scene and say, okay, what's missing from her apartment? What's missing from this home? You often will hear them say, oh, well, she had a pair of boots that she always wore or a favorite pair of high tops that she, that she liked. And, and that, that item is not here. So no footwear being missing as well. This to me immediately from jump street sniffs and smells like foul play. Do we know the state of her house at the time she went missing? It's in Virginia. <laughs> no, I, I don't know the, the situation. I do know she's not living with her mom or her father. Well, but and and the reason why I bring that up is because if she went missing, if the last time somebody saw her was at her house, that would probably be reported on. Um, but we have no indication that there was any type of break into Correct. her house or or any kind of. Um, they didn't think that her house was like disheveled and and like that there was a crime scene at the at the residency from what we've been told nothing that they saw at her residence suggested foul play or suggested breaking and entering or any type of struggle at all see it makes you wonder if she's going to meet up with somebody so she's hanging out with some friends around 6 p.m she heads home she parks her car and then she gets in another vehicle 
that's why I believe her cell phone is the answer to this case. Because unless somebody just knocked on the door, she willingly opened it up and she's not wearing any shoes and they just snatch and grab her. Right. Where was her purse found? Was it found in the vehicle or was it found in her home? Inside the home. See, it, it'd be okay. So, but we're going to see a quick problem with this air quotes evidence, okay. right? Give me the problem. So yeah, let's get to this because this is going to throw a big old wrench into everything. Mm-hmm. So after a few days, this is only after a couple days that she's been missing. Remember Elkton police, Adam Williams, 22 years old, who took the report shaking and all has already been investigating this case for a couple of days at this point. This is when her family, they're at Rachel's place and they discover some notes, you know, some back and forth communications with uh, a pen pal, I guess you would call it. These notes are talking about a romantic relationship. One that her parents and brother don't seem to have much of a clue about, right? They, they have some thoughts that they, they do know she's dating someone, didn't know who it was. But after finding these notes, they figure out that there's communication about a romantic relationship between Rachel Good and 22-year-old Adam Williams, who is now the lead investigator on this missing persons case. Well, surprise, surprise. Well, and not only surprise, surprise, but keep in mind, he took the report. He didn't say to Rachel's mother, oh, by the way, we've been, I've been dating your daughter. Right. Doesn't say to Rachel's brother, oh, by the way, I, I know your sister. That's why I said there's something fishy about the whole idea. Hey, if you guys uh, think of anything, contact me first. You you would expect a detective to say you could you know contact me directly. I'd rather you talk to me than to talk to whoever's answering the phones that day because you don't want anything to get lost in translation. Yeah, but he but, should have immediately said, "Look, I, I have yes. a relationship with your daughter. I can't investigate this case." And even at the very least, if he was unable to communicate that with mom and brother. Once he was able to calm down, he should have went to his superior and said, hey, guys, um, I just took this report of this missing person. I know them. Now, right. you, you think about how small this town is, so it wouldn't be uncommon for the individuals working, the officers working to know a person that you're taking a report about. Right. But in this situation, this he had an opportunity to say, hey, I'm involved in this romantic relationship with this young woman, she's missing. You guys got to take the case. This one can't be mine. He never does that. Instead, he goes out and he's actually investigating. And then the the family comes forward. They're like, wait a second. We found these notes. Adam Williams knows our daughter. And it seems like they had some kind of relationship going on that we're just kind of figuring out right now. So they pull him. Elkton police, rightfully so, they pull him off the case. But he's been on it for a few days now. Yeah. She's not turned up. The most important days of the investigation. And Elkton police did, did their exactly what they should do here, right? You now you, this case has already been compromised Yeah, and you now need to get a different agency involved. And so what they do is they reach out and the Virginia state police will eventually take the case. Now there's going to be a few days of nothing happening. By the time Virginia State Police can get to to start to investigate here, but 
at least we don't have Adam Williams still investigating in the meantime. So he's only working the case for a couple days when all of this information comes to light. He's pulled from the case. Now we have Virginia State Police leading the investigation. All right, ladies and gents, we are back. Cheers to you, onward and upward. Cheers to you, Colonel. To all cans in the air. Power to the people. Yes, in the back. Uh, Correction here, Captain. I'm looking further down my notes here, and I do have a notation that the, the main item of concern, personal item of concern that was not recovered, is, in fact, Rachel's cell phone. And we've already mentioned that her purse and vehicle were both recovered and both found at her residence. Right. The thing here, though, we talked about how the the case has already been compromised. And we talk about Virginia State Police coming in. Now, we kind of need to jump back to about a week prior. Okay, so she goes missing on a Saturday night. The Sunday before... Rachel is hanging out with her father, Carrie, and says to dad, hey, dad, by the way, I am dating somebody. I'm seeing a guy and he's a police officer. Now, Carrie never gets Adam Williams's name from his daughter. They don't go into that much detail, but she does mention that to dad on that Sunday. Yeah. Doesn't say what agency he's with, you know, could be a. This could be a sheriff's deputy, could be somebody with the state police, could be somebody in Elkton. He doesn't know much of the details about this person other than Rachel tells dad, hey, dad, by the way, I'm seeing a guy and he's a police officer. Now, we know who the police officer is. It's Adam Williams. There's a lot of problems with this. There's nothing wrong with dating a police officer, but Adam Williams is 22 years old and married. Well, it gives you some motivation. Um, we got this secretive pin pal, and then, oh, she's now telling people, not using his name, there's a reason why she didn't tell the father the name, because he's married. And so that gives him all the motive in the world to get rid of somebody. And let's complicate matters even further. Rachel Good is pregnant at the time of her disappearance. Oh, really? And all reports state that it is believed. Now, this hasn't been scientifically confirmed as far as I have seen. Well, that's because we haven't been able to find her. But it, all reports state that it is believed that the the father, the baby daddy, is Adam Williams married to another woman who was lead investigator for a couple of days on Rachel Good's case. So he's got time to, if he did do something to Rachel, if he caused her to disappear, he had time to bury, hide, burn, conceal evidence. Well, this guy has a garage full of canoes. If you get a garage full of skeletons, if you uh, catch my drift. Now, according to those who knew Rachel, she's pregnant. She tells Adam that she's pregnant. And they say that he 
wanted Rachel to get an abortion. And to further back up this statement, this belief, is her friend saying that he not only agreed to pay for the abortion, but he gave her the money to cover. She, Rachel, didn't want to have an abortion. She was going to have the baby. And a little bit of a thumb in the eye here, the money that Adam gives to her, according to these friends, Rachel decided to spend that on other things. And so we have this very... This is a messy situation. Yes, very messy where you can you can easily, right? You've heard very little detail so far, and one can quickly close their eyes and go, I have a pretty darn good feeling about how all of this went down. Rachel goes home. Adam comes over. There's a, a discussion, a conversation that's had. Oh, you know, this is our situation that we found ourselves in. This is the bed that we've made. Now we got to lie in it. Right. And he's saying, I want you to do this. And she's saying, no, I won't do that. And oh, by the way, I spent the money on something else. And when he doesn't get his way, the result is an altercation. Things get physical. Maybe he chokes her. Maybe he strangles her. And now we sit here that Saturday night in October and our suspect has a problem on his hands. He's got something he's got to get rid of. Probably a lot of things that he's got to get rid of, hide and conceal. One thing of note here in this case, Captain, one thing that lingers is this statement about a vehicle. So there was a red truck that was seen near Rachel's home. This is at around noon. The thing that's difficult here is keep in mind, this is after she goes missing or believed to have gone missing. She would have came home at 6 p.m. ish the night prior, but around noon on October 19th, there's a red truck. There's a red truck that is seen near Rachel Good's home. Um, The driver has never been identified. And interestingly enough is not being called a suspect, but as far as we can tell, police put this information out there and no one's come forward to say, Oh, I was the guy in the red truck. I, you know, I was out there doing maintenance or I, I work in the area. So am I dumb to assume that our suspicious cop doesn't own a red truck? That was the first thing I wanted to know. But then even beyond that, I wanted to know, does this guy know anybody with a red truck? Because remember, he might have a problem on his hands now, and he might have called in for somebody to help him get rid of said problem. Yeah. The only only issue I have with that, though, is... 20-some years on, and we don't know where she's at. You'd think that somebody, if they helped out, would then come forward. Right, and you don't need us to to hold your hand for too much longer to know that this is now, this is a foul play homicide case. We, I believe that they're, what Virginia State Police and the prosecutor are in a very roundabout way telling us is if we had her body, if we had more evidence, we probably would be charging somebody with her murder. I mean, but this is just absolutely ridiculous because when the, when the mother and brother go to make that report and you have this, just going to say it, son of a bitch shaking like a leaf, doesn't admit to knowing her, doesn't admit to having a relationship with her, doesn't admit to the fact that She's possibly carrying his child. 
if I'm law enforcement, yes, you take him off the case and you're investigating, but I'd be telling this guy, we're going to figure this out. And once we figure this out, and if we find her her dead body and we find that she was pregnant, you're going to fry. Well, and he's shaking because he's scared as all get out. And yeah. get out is what he does. So in November of 2003, Adam Williams submits a letter of resignation to the Elkton Police Department. And his resignation in the letter states that it would be effective early January of, tw- of 2004. And so what the police department does, and rightfully so, they say, look, man, you, you are on leave. You can't work the streets at all. You can't answer the phones. You can't be here. So we will honor your resignation and pay you in the meantime, but you can't be here in any capacity at all. Right. And so we're going to honor that. We'll pay you. And then boom, you are gone. You and the Elkton police department, we don't know each other come January, 2004. And not only does he resign, but in December of 2003, after being placed on administrative leave, Adam Williams moves out of the state. The police, by this point, Virginia State Police, they've, they're have they searching his home. They say, look, we suspect he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's one of our suspects in this case, but we didn't find anything in his home that directly ties him to this young woman's disappearance. Well, and just so we're clear and just so I'm clear on everything, we know that Rachel told her father that she was seeing a police officer, but obviously at some point she was telling friends that. Yeah, the friends knew much more. And and she was naming him. She wasn't just saying uh, some cop, some officer. And a couple of the friends, Captain, have said that Rachel was going to threaten to tell Adam's wife what was going on as well. (sighs) So he has all kinds of reasons to not justified, but he has all kinds of reasons to completely lose it. And I'm guessing that that might be what he did. And unfortunately, I thought that, you know, the seventies and eighties, even maybe early nineties, that we were starting to get away from the idea that if you do something terrible in this city, county, state, you know, a really good method to deter or to complicate your arrest was simply to move far away. Right. Unfortunately, it looks like in 2003 and even in 2023 that that is still very helpful to your situation. If you're a criminal move far away and that he did. Well, and guess who would know that information? A law enforcement officer, apparently podcasters as well. Right. But the, uh, in 2004, so now we're in September and this is, once we get to the, the year anniversary of her disappearance, the family does hold a memorial service to honor her life and to celebrate her life and hopefully to draw more attention to Rachel Good's case. But in 2004, in September, leading up to that, there's a grand jury that's convened by local authority. And they're trying to determine, do we have enough evidence in this case to charge someone and to take their butt to court? Do we have any communication between law enforcement and the investigators and Adam's wife? No, the Virginia State Police have been very hush-hush about this case. 
I wonder what they're lacking here, and I wonder what was missed due to the fact that, A, if Adam is responsible, that he had time to cover his tracks for a few days unnoticed to anyone. But then on top of that, you have another few days that there's no investigation going on at all before Virginia State Police can actively be involved. We talk about the first 48 being so important. You're missing out on the first 72, the first yeah. 96, and so on and so forth. Because of the number one suspect. Correct. I mean, it's mind-boggling. I wonder if law enforcement ever took those notes, and I don't know how many notes were exchanged between Rachel and Adam, but were those notes ever presented to uh, Adam's current wife? Well, they're no longer together. Well, surprise, surprise. Right. And so what, what little information we have about the actual investigation is this. So remember at that 11-month mark after her disappearance, Rockingham County Commonwealth's attorney, Marsha Garst, convened a special grand jury to look into the disappearance case and publicly stated, we have significant evidence and we want to move the case along. So it sounds like the attorney, the county attorney, believed that there was significant evidence, as they stated, and that they had a case against someone. Now, of course, Adam Williams is not directly named to the public there, but we you don't have to be a Sherlock Holmes to figure out who they're talking about here. Right. And so she even boldly says... An indictment is certain that this will happen. However, no indictment ever was handed down. And so they very likely did not have enough evidence as far as the grand jury was concerned. For somebody to make a prediction like that, you wonder, again, this is not information shared by law enforcement, but it makes you wonder, what was the speed bump? What is the bump in the road that we're not able to get over to bring an indictment? Well, here's a speed bump that the family will run into. So we talked about in November of 2004, Candlelight Memorial is held for Rachel Good. This is at the Blue Ridge Church of Christ in Rockingham County, Virginia. Uh, of course, we should also mention that the more memorial is held for the unborn child as well. Now, seven years go by. So now we're in 2010. Rachel has not been seen in seven years. So her family legally declares Rachel Good as dead. And so at this point, they're hoping to further along the to to nudge the investigation in the right direction. Yeah. The family is. So in 2012, Rachel's father, Carrie, files a wrongful death suit against Adam Williams. And in fact, this wrongful death suit is against the town of Elkton against the former police chief, Richard Paulin, and Officer Adam Williams. But I guess I should have asked this question earlier. We have Rachel Good telling her friends, didn't tell her family members, didn't tell her father that Sunday, oh, by the way, I'm seeing this guy and I'm also pregnant. Do we have any medical records to prove that she was pregnant at the time? Yes, there's there's plenty of evidence backing up the pregnancy. Okay, good because so that's not in question. I do I do think just to be fair, 
we should state that it's not 100% confirmed that the child was Adam Williams. Right, right. But what we do know based off of statements given by her friends, her close friends, is that Adam and Williams, the two were seeing each other, that she became pregnant with Adam's baby. He was insistent on an abortion to the to the point of even paying for it. She spends that money on something else. The other thing that we're going to hear from people that knew Rachel and knew Adam was that they likely had two very different understandings of what this relationship was. So on one hand, we have people telling us, yeah, this wasn't a situation that Adam was going to leave his wife for Rachel. This was a situation where he was casually and occasionally seeing Rachel. Right. And that Rachel may have thought that it was something else, that it was something bigger, better, stronger than what Adam perceived the relationship to be. Well, I was watching uh, that the show Friday Night Lights the other day, and the the father was trying to explain to his teenage daughter, no matter what you think a boy is thinking about, they're thinking about sex. And then he explains to her, and they'll say a lot of crazy things and do a lot of crazy things to have sex. So we don't know what Adam was telling her or not telling her. And we also then don't know how she was interpreting whatever he was telling her. Well, and as said in that 2012 wrongful death lawsuit filed by Carrie Good, Rachel's father, in the lawsuit, he's claiming that Adam Williams is the person that is responsible for his daughter's disappearance and death, that she's she's gone, she's missing because she has been killed. And remember that lawsuit was against the town, the former police chief, and Adam Williams. And this was for $5 million or $5.5 million lawsuit. Right. And, you know, you can only squeeze so much blood from a rusty nail. Adam Williams does not have $5 million or $5.5 million to pay this lawsuit should he lose. And so that's why you go after bigger entities than just Adam Williams. But ultimately... This wrongful death lawsuit will be dropped, and this really stinks for our case here because a wrongful death lawsuit is a really good way to nudge an investigation and and kick the can further down the road because it opens up the subjects involved, the accused, the plaintiff, and the defendant in the lawsuit all get opened up to further investigation and investigations that go beyond law enforcement. Now, you'd like to... I sit here and I wonder, well, what would they have uncovered had this lawsuit continued? Now, the problem then becomes it gets dismissed. From my understanding, it's that we have a lack of evidence, especially against the town and against the former police chief. So the lack of evidence is going to be, well, can you prove? Can you prove in a court of law that not only your belief that Adam Williams is responsible for the disappearance of your daughter, but also that these other persons and entities fully were aware that the the officer was involved with your daughter. That gets very dicey and very difficult to prove. And so I believe that's why this lawsuit was ultimately dismissed. Now, dad, he's a tough hombre, right? He's not just going to back down. So he decides, you know what, we're, we're going to try this a different route. We're going to, we're going to flank this guy from the side. We're going to file another wrongful death lawsuit 
against Adam Williams by himself. And this time we're going after $50,000. So it's it's to tell everybody involved, in my opinion, Captain, that this is to tell everybody involved, this is not about the money. This is not about profiting or, or getting some kind of money out of these people. Right. This is about the investigation. This is about this guy did this to our family. We want him held accountable in some form or fashion. We want him opened up to further investigation. What ends up happening is the father and his team of attorneys really felt that they could get this lawsuit to go through successfully against Adam Williams and prove that he was responsible for the death of Rachel Good if they had the cell phone records. They wanted to get Rachel Good's cell phone records along with Adam Williams' cell phone records. They attempt to get that from the cell phone carriers, and I, I hate this because I don't believe that this is true. I just don't believe that this is true. The cell phone companies say, oh, well, you're trying to do this 11 years after she disappeared. We don't. We just simply don't have those records to give to you. Right. Lazy. Uh, here's the problem I have with it. I love this great country, but we know what makes the world go around, and it's this little thing called money. And when money's involved, you'd be surprised how well and how long people keep records. And so maybe it's true. I, I can't believe that in 2003, 2004, you didn't have that in some kind of database somewhere it's on a computer somewhere it's difficult for the old colonel to believe that remember i went to school for computers so try telling that jive to somebody else now they can't get the records but here we go good news virginia state police subpoenaed those records back in the day so they hold them and this is where you take the air out of all the damn tires in the garage they won't give those cell phone records to Rachel Good's family to use as evidence in the wrongful death lawsuit. Why? It's an open investigation. They must feel that, that giving those records away might give their case away. However, I sit here and I go, it's 20 years. What are we doing? Are we just sitting around, sitting on our hands, hoping that somebody finds a body someday? Because that's what it looks like from, from my perspective. Right. From this vantage point, I say, give those records to dad. Let him use them in the court. Open up this individual to further investigation. Shake those trees and let's see what the hell falls out. Because we've been at this a long time. If even if this was our first case, I think that we'd, we'd still be sitting here telling you, look, the guy that was dating her, the guy that was saying, get the abortion, I'll pay for the abortion. Don't tell my wife. How dare you threaten to tell my wife? Oh, she disappears. I don't bother to tell anybody that, that I'm involved with her. I don't bother to tell anybody that she's pregnant with my baby. Oh, and when you figure out that information, by the way, here's my resignation and I'm going to move down south. He looks pretty darn guilty. Open up this investigation. Or we could just do what I said we should have done years ago. We dress up in clown mask. We go after these individuals. We get them to confess. And then we uh, disappear into the night. This wrongful death lawsuit is kind of on again, off again, right? It's it's in the courts. It's working its way. Boom, it's dismissed. Or the, the case is dropped for a multitude of reasons. And it's a little complex and we don't have... A lot of time to go through that right now. But what we can cover here, Captain, 
is this is a news article from 2016 that explains a good deal of it. And the headline is trial of former Elkton police officer in death of Rachel Good delayed again. And this is from the good folks over at ABC three WHSV TV. And the article reads Rachel's parents sue Adam Williams for the wrongful death of Rachel Good. The lawsuit seeks roughly $50,000 in damages in connection with the 2003 disappearance of Good. The family asked for a continuance. On Friday, September 16th, the family of Rachel Good was supposed to be in court with former Elkton police officer Adam Williams. However, on Thursday, Brad Pollock, the attorney representing the family, filed a petition to continue the case at a later date. The reason for this petition was a dispute with Virginia State Police over cell phone records from Rachel Good and Adam Williams, which are critical to the plaintiff's case. With the passage of time since Good's disappearance 13 years ago, the original cell phone records have been destroyed by cell providers, but Virginia State Police have copies of the phone records obtained as part of a subpoena years ago. On the same day as the family's petition to continue, Virginia State Police filed a motion to quash that subpoena, which would effectively prevent Rachel Good's family from ever gaining access to the phone records they believe to be critical to this case. And it goes on to state that they have six months to refile and to determine the future of the actual case. Now, here we get an interesting quote, okay? And it says, quote, Adam Williams and his father are guilty as hell, excuse my language. And he can run, but he can only run for so long. I've got the best lawyer in 10 counties, and we're going to get him. And quote, that comes from Rachel Good's father, Carrie Good. Now, why is he calling out Adam Williams' father? So Adam Williams, 22 years old, living in Rockingham County, Virginia, his parents live down in Florida. The reports are that dad makes a inconvenient or convenient one-day trip from Florida to visit son Adam Williams right around the time that Rachel Good goes missing. So there are many out there that have speculated over the years that did dad help Adam? Seems like a huge douche. Conceal, move, hide the body? Right. Look, it, it, I'm guessing from from Florida to Virginia, we're talking anywhere depending on where he lives in Florida, 10, 15-hour drive. So he's going to drive all the way up there. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Now it's time to go home. That, that's not how the world works. Yeah, or he, or he took a dead body all the way back to Florida. It'd be very hard to find her if you took her all the way down to Florida. I was really hoping that this case would be as easy as we need to find the, we need to connect some dots. Connecting already found unidentified remains to that of Rachel Good's case. And unfortunately on NamUs, there's only one person that kind of one set of unidentified remains that kind of fit the criteria as possibly being connected uh, because 20 years is a long time to not recover a body. So there is two Jane Doe's that could be looked at as possible matches. Yeah, there are two that, that seem to fit the criteria. And what, what I mean by fit the criteria is we're looking for someone that is 
roughly about the same height, weight, and age as Rachel Good, but also would have had to have gone missing or disappeared or been killed after that October 2003 date. So there's one individual, and specifically when I went to NamUs, I was looking for a body that's recovered from an area somewhat near this county in Virginia. Right. Or somewhere that somebody could drive relatively quickly and and come back and, and not be noticed as having been gone. And keep in mind, we got like that 14, 15, 16 hour window before someone's trying to get a hold of Rachel. So, and then on top of that, how many days was it before anybody else went into her residence? Was, was Adam Williams the only person that accessed that residence for several days? That's information that's lacking here in the story. But one well, identified- he could have went back to the crime scene if that was the crime scene and spent days cleaning it up. Yeah, I, I would like to know, we, we're told that her family recovered those letters from her residence a few days after they reported her missing. I would love to know what day that was and how much in and out did the family have after they reported her missing and when did that start? Now, the one person that we're looking at here, Captain, is, and anybody can go to the NamUs website, and I recommend that you do. The other website that we'll recommend this week, of course, is the Charlie Project. Make sure you go check them out. That is one of the best, if not the best, database for missing persons is the Charlie Project website. On NamUs, our individual, our unidentified person is UP185. Five, six. It's a Caucasian female. The body was recovered July 27, 2005 from Brooklyn, Maryland. Now, Brooklyn, Maryland is roughly about two hours, two hours and 45 minutes drive from the Elkton, Virginia area. So you could you could get there and back in about five hours time. This individual would fit the age the estimated age range of 19 to 23. It's believed this individual, the height here, five foot five inches, uh, which is, they clarify that that's estimated. And the weight here is only 120 pounds, which is estimated as well. The problem with this connecting this Jane Doe to our missing person is that they believe that while found in July of 2005, that this individual would not have been deceased long enough to be our missing person. And the other one that we have is a body that was recovered earlier this year. But I think a glaring problem is we don't know if the if Adam's father was involved in somehow of getting rid of the body because that how many states is he going through? What path did he take? We don't know. So should we be looking and Virginia, should we be looking in Florida? Or should we be looking somewhere else? And that's exactly right. And that's that's what I did when when looking on Namus was anywhere that Adam Williams would have had ties to. So any state that he would have lived in at, at any time, even right. after the disappearance, because as said, we know he moved away. He moved to Louisiana. He has ties to the Texas area, to Mississippi, and of course Florida, with his parents living in Florida. And so I checked all of those areas as well. 
This is one that we don't know how far along in the identification process that they are with this current case, but this is out of Augusta County, Virginia, and the article is from May 23rd of this year. And it reads, the Augusta County Sheriff's Office says that they are launching an investigation after human remains were reportedly found in Fishersville. In a press release, the Augusta County Sheriff's Office said deputies were called to a residential building site in the 1600 block of Tinkling Springs Road. That's a terrible name for a road. Tinkling Springs. On May 23rd at around 9.30 a.m., This was for a report of skeletal remains being found. The sheriff's office said that a contractor was digging footers for a new home when they found the alleged remains. The investigation into this matter is ongoing and the remains, once excavated, will be sent to the office of the chief medical examiner in Roanoke, according to the sheriff's office. Quote, these unknown remains do not appear to be related to any active missing persons cases in Augusta County said Sheriff Donald Smith. Now, keep in mind, Rachel Good's case is 20 years prior and from a different county. So we don't know where they are in the um, identification process with these particular remains. But where the case sits today, Captain, is in a very, very sad state. Her family have already accepted the idea that they're not going to see their daughter again, that she has already passed, right? that somebody took her life. They've also accepted that they believe that they know exactly who's responsible for it. Yeah, it seems to make a lot of sense who's responsible. And the father, her father, Carrie Good, is a much better man than I am because he said, look, this isn't really something, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not saying his exact words, but he's pretty much saying that this isn't really something that we think that I think we should execute this individual for. But I believe that I know that he's responsible for my daughter's death. They were young. This was 20 years ago. And I'm now left to the point where I'm getting older and I just want to bring my daughter home before my time comes. Yeah. But I don't see this individual that we all I don't see this individual where it seems like everything is pointing towards this individual as not just a suspect, but, you know, this is a seems like an open and shut case. I don't, I don't see him confessing anytime soon. I would like to know what we could learn from those cell phone records. Could that lead us to an area where the body may be? Could that further the investigation on if Adam did have help from anyone? Right. Who was she in contact with? Also, the other thing that's going to further bolster your your case against this individual would be... Speaking of Mike Dillhead. Are they constantly in contact and then he's not calling her phone anymore after a certain time on in October? Right. On October 18th, 2003? Is he never calling her phone again starting the following day when she's reported missing? Did he call her phone? That that might swing this thing the other way. When mom shows up and reports are missing, he's shaking because he's got to get the phone to try to call her. So I think those cell phone records could be key here. Obviously, the Virginia State Police believe that they're key. But here we sit 20 years later and we've not charged anybody. 
And so I, I hope that they say that we can't give these records over to the family because it is an open and active investigation. I'm hoping and praying that, yes, please, that it is, in fact, an active investigation. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Rachel Good from October of 2003, please contact the Virginia State Police at 800-572-2260. I want to thank everybody so much for joining us here in the garage. Also, Christmas is around the corner, so get your orders into the store to make sure it gets to you by Christmas. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners. How about a little true crime garage for your eyeballs? Check out Murder in the 21st every Friday night at 10 Eastern, 9 Central on A&E. Why? Because it's a great true crime show, but also because True Crime Garage, your boys, will be on two episodes of Murder in the 21st. The first of the two episodes was last Friday, October 20th. So you can stream that now. And as said, we have another episode that we will be on. So stay tuned into Murder in the 21st, Friday nights on A&E. You can find that recommendation and many other wonderful recommendations on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. <laughs>